All right. Hello and welcome to RealCom's first webinar in our CRE Tech Innovation Series. I'm Chuck Neiswanger, president of NiceNets Consulting, your RealCom host for today's webinar, Workplace and Experience Technology. We took a little time off for CoreTech, but we're back uh, in December and looking forward to these new sessions. Thank you for tuning in to the live session or viewing this as a recording. The focus for this webinar is a look back at the last 12 to 18 months, but we're also going to touch on what's coming. So uh, be sure, pay attention, take notes if needed. There's a lot of good information. But before we get started, let me go over a few housekeeping items to just make sure you have a great webinar experience. Again, thank you to our live attendees. We do encourage you to use the Q&A box at the bottom of your screen uh, on the GoToWebinar controls, and you can use that to submit questions or comments and it's always better when you're an active participant we love hearing from you and we'll definitely try to get to your questions but if they don't get answered don't worry we'll follow up with you once the event is concluded in the handout section you'll find more detailed bios of our panelists and some highly informative slide information even if we don't use those slides during the session uh, you'll find it quite useful to see uh, that information there so uh, and for the best webinar experience, we do recommend closing out any other internet applications, especially streaming videos. You, you won't learn too much about today's office environment by watching 9 to 5 on Netflix, so don't do that. Stick with us. You'll learn a lot more. But if you are experiencing technical issues with connectivity sound or video quality, the best thing to do is to disconnect and click on the webinar link again. If needed, you can also email Ian at I Thompson, that's I T H O M P S O N at realcom.com for help during the event. But don't worry, you won't miss anything. As I mentioned, it is being recorded. You don't have to ask. We will send it to you later today. This educational webinar is supported by our outstanding sponsor partners. FM Systems has a workplace management solution that helps the world's largest organizations access, manage, and measure every aspect of their real estate portfolio. Let's take a quick video to learn more. Access, manage, and measure your entire facility's portfolio. FM Systems' all-in-one workplace management platform enable facilities, corporate real estate, security, IT, and HR professionals to maximize the use of their facilities, manage real estate costs in a smart way, and ensure employees and visitors have healthy, safe, and inspiring workplace experiences. Plan against an ever-shifting, unknown world of work with FM Systems. Very nice. Uh, and uh, we have one more sponsor that we'd like to uh, investigate. We It is contact.io. They make smart IoT devices, cloud solutions, and powerful APIs that help transform buildings into safe and sustainable indoor environments. Let's look at the video and learn a little bit more.
Very nice. We, and we are so grateful to all of the contributions by these vendors to our industry, to Realcom, and to helping us educate viewers in sessions just like these. If you're ready to establish outstanding partnerships with vendors and consulting teams who are ready to help your business and your building operations thrive, I do recommend including these companies as part of your vendor evaluation process. Let me introduce our moderator today. It's Carly Miller. She's the Managing Director for Asset Management at Pigeon Real Estate. Welcome, Carly. Hi, Chuck. Hey, good to see you. I just want to make sure you're not muted, so we're all good to go. Um, so glad you were able to join us. Thank you so much for uh, uh, working with us on this webinar. We appreciate so much of the thought leadership that you bring to the table. Let me suggest, let's take a quick poll of the audience, uh, get a sense of who we have in the audience. So audience members, if you don't mind, if you could select the one that is closest to your position, that would be quite helpful. And, and maybe we'll tailor our discussion a little bit to uh, to uh, answer any questions that might be coming from, from you and we can uh, make any adjustments that we need. So, all right, so that should be good. You should know your, know your position well enough. So uh, Ian, if you don't mind, let's go ahead and see the results. All right. I don't know, Carly, if any of that surprises you. No, it's really evenly distributed. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty surprised about that. Yeah, it takes. That's, I think that's what's good about these polls. It gives you an idea. We do have everything from, from uh, executive levels across the board, uh, and uh, uh, building managers, uh, which are definitely affected by this topic. So, so glad again. Let me thank the uh, live audience. So glad you're able to participate. Uh, Carly, you've got a lot to cover, so I'm going to hand it off to you, and I will see you at the end. Thank you. Thank you, Chuck. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. So by way of introduction, my name is Carly Miller. I am the Office Asset Management Sector Head for PGM Real Estate. I oversee a national portfolio of around $19 billion of office assets under management, which is about 30 million square feet across a variety of investment strategies ranging from core to value add. I've been with PGIM for a little over 15 years. And prior to that, I started my career as an investment sales broker in, in New York City. And then I did a small stint at, in acquisitions at an operator before joining PGIM. So I'd like to welcome our first panelist, Pei Wu, president and co-founder of MWBE Unite. Pei, thank you so much for joining us today. Would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself and your current role? Sure, thank you, Carly, and nice to see you. Um, so I am the co-founder and president of MWBE Unite. Um, we are a real estate services company focused on aggregating diverse suppliers uh, to help corporations and institutions meet their ESG and DEI goals. Thank you so much. Well, welcome. We're excited to have you on the panel. I'd also like to welcome another panelist, Adriana Rojas, Principal and Director of Interiors for HOK, uh, who also leads their Florida practice. Adriana, thank you so much for joining us. Would you mind sharing a little about yourself? Thank you, Carly. Nice to see you. And hello, everyone. Very excited to be here. Um, so I'm Principal and Director of Interiors for HOK, a global design firm. And I lead our Florida practice, which includes Tampa office and the Miami office. 
And I've been in the industry over 28 years, and I have a really, you know, a passion for research applied design, and I focus on just the human experience of the users within the space. So I'm very excited for this conversation today and looking forward to it. Well, we're very excited to have you here. Thank you so much for joining. So before we begin, I wanted to briefly set the stage for our discussion today. As you'll probably notice when our other panelists join us a little bit later, um, our panel is going to be comprised of participants who are partially in the office and partially working from their home offices. So clearly the hybrid workplace is here to stay. In order to effectively navigate a hybrid workplace, changes to the traditional workplaces we know it will need to be implemented both to the physical space and the utilization of that space to ensure that all employees have equitable experiences. And technology will clearly be at the forefront of, of these changes. What's interesting is that the pace of change in the workplace is, is rapid given how quickly technology is changing and improving. And so the workplace of the past, the workplace of today, and the workplace of the future all will look very, very different. And so we thought that this group of, of of people who we have joining us today would all be really, really well equipped to share their views and what they're seeing. So with that, I'd like to jump right in. And I'll start with my first question for Pei. Pei, I'd like to start by defining the problem. Where do you think that the work environment is going? Where do you think the, what do you think the workplace of the future is? What does hybrid mean to you in terms of the number of days in the office, flexible workspaces, co-working? Can you help us kind of define what we're talking about here? Sure. Um, it, it's interesting, I think, you know, to to those of us who have spent decades in the real estate industry, whether, you know, on different sides of the fence, landlord, owner, operator, investor, end user, um, a service provider. I think um, what's interesting is that um, we've gone through a whole journey in the last three years um, where the uh the problem is actually less about the widget and more about the demand. Um, and, 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 you know, to kind of ground us in the context of that, um, it, you know, it fits in two, two buckets, right? So we're in the situation of um, at the individual level, um, there's now an acknowledgement of the gaps of what worked and what didn't work in the past. Um, the crisis of the pandemic actually created the opportunities for change at scale. Many companies that didn't consider workplace alternative workplace in the past um, overnight were actually forced to address it. Um, you know, uh, but but what's more more important and interesting, which is where um, is still a bit of murky situation, is the fact that um, you know the, the it's uncovered and made transparent um, the wants and the needs and circumstances of the workforce. So that's at the individual level. Um, now, at the business level, of course, what's interesting is, you know, the pace of transformation that we're seeing and um, yesterday and, and later on today, I'm rejoining the Reuters conference um, where, you know, the broad conversations are really about business transformation, dig digitization, supply chain shifts and margin pressures, right, given the inflation environment. So, um, you know, prior to MWB Unite, um, I ran uh you know, a a portfolio of accounts um, for a legacy real estate firm. Um, and the last three years has been hurry up and stop, hurry up and stop. Um, and so, you know, for, for me personally, 
um, you know, having been around mobility of the workplace for three decades now, um, you know, it, it is a range, right? Um, you hear the high profile conversations with Twitter, um, Tesla calling everybody back. I've had clients in the last six months that have asked, have been asking is two days a week, three days a week, the right setup? Is it three to four days a month? Um, is it one day common uh, per week and everything else is team driven? Um, is it 100% digital remote first? Um, and is it uh, agile and on the science space and then leveraging co-working when you need it? So, so you know, that's the broad challenge that we're up against. Um, and, uh, you know, on, on, on this end, uh, all of these solutions create equity issues. They all need some kind of tech to create some, uh, you know, better experiences. And, and I think the, cha the industry is challenged with that. I, I think you said it perfectly. I think the only thing that we know right now is that we don't know what the answer is. Nobody has the special sauce or, you know, nobody knows exactly what's going to make this work perfectly. And so we need to be able to evolve. So thank you Absolutely. for that. Absolutely. So I'm gonna turn it over to Adriana. I think that you have a really, really interesting perspective on hybrid. Do you think that you can share some data with us on what you've seen with respect to hybrid workplaces previously and what elements you think we need to do this correctly? Absolutely. And um, you know, I love just sharing all the different viewpoints because again, this is exactly what this is about, right? And you said it right, Carly, nobody has the answer. And we have a couple of slides. Um, if we can pull those up, Ian. I think you have these, they're shared in the deck. So um I'm not gonna stop on all of it. But again, like we said, we know hybrid is here to stay. And really this is our moment to embrace this opportunity to address the disruption that this brought and really rethink how we can serve our clients the best way possible and the companies and the workforce, because it's all about innovation and how we're gonna evolve. So a lot of what we're seeing is, you know, as many companies are really looking to adapt the hybrid, right? And, and a lot of them already did. But, you know, initially we started to see utilization um, yeah, percentages go up then they started to come down. I think it's leveling at a point where we're ready to, to really embrace, you know, the notion of a different ecosystem of spaces. What does that mean? You know, in hybrid, um, we talk a lot about the hub, hub spoke and the home model that's emerging, which creates a whole different set of challenges. But a lot comes back to enhancing the user experience. We need to make sure that we define well what's the purpose of place within the offices. So a lot of what we're seeing is the companies that are coming back, you know, that are adopting, you know, like, um, like PaySafe, the activity-based working, you know, how are we really meeting their demands? And how are we making sure that the amenities are there to, to make sure the staff is comfortable and they're excited about the workforce? So, you know, 70% of the companies are going to be doing this. So we need to be ready to address that. Um, and again, the next slide, if we really just look at, again, understanding what this could be, um, I think, honestly, for us, it's not about knowing what the answer is. But when we've looked at these five topics, these help us really define and how we can think the space and the challenge and how we occupy, you know, it's the different ecosystems, it's the opportunities to connect and build social capital. There's definitely something that was lost during the pandemic and that we need to build back. Um, but we also lot, 
you know, lost a lot of opportunities for mentorship. So how are we really enabling that back when we come? And again, the purpose of place, understanding how we create those great experiences and the moments that matter, because you want people to come to the office, but they really need to be um, engaged and really, you know, enjoy the experience of coming. But there's got to be also this seamless transition and there's got to be equity because a lot of what we lost during the pandemic was that right the equity and and i think we need to bring it back by you know the hybrid mode and making sure everybody feels like they're part of of the space so um we have also a list that we've shared that talks about 12 points to consider and again i'm not going to stop and share each one of these but Something that really, again, we want to make sure is go through your space and your strategy, because a lot of what we know is some of these challenges are not just about the space, they're operational challenges. So we need to make sure that we have the right processes in place and that we're addressing everything in terms of the operations of your office. It's only is not only the physical is the you know psychological is safety is well being there's a lot of points to consider to make sure that we're making the best out of hybrid and not making you know certain mistakes where people come to the office and they don't feel the support correctly. So um, some of the things again it's looking and understanding what the real problems are. And we've addressed, again, a couple of big topics. Again, are we asking the right questions? Are we making sure that we define, you know, what the problems were before the pandemic and before hybrid was here to come and addressing it now? Because it's not just, you know, creating new amenities. What are the amenities for? Is it responding to your culture? And how do we, you know, just make sure that we're not oversimplifying things again because not one size fits all but we really want to make sure that again whatever we do is we make it worth coming back and we give equity to everyone thank you so much adriana i i couldn't agree more i think what's interesting is that you know the workplace was changing before the pandemic it was actually it didn't change as a result of it it's just been accelerated a little bit more quickly and you know we need to adapt but bringing people back people are coming back purposefully and you have to have a reason to be there and you have to have you know equity and feel included and have a reason to feel good about being in the office and you know as employers and designers of workspaces and 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 all of us i think that there's a lot that we could do to help with that so at this point i would like to welcome brian haynes uh vp of strategy at fm systems Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself and your role? Hi, Carly, thank you so much. Uh, well, I really have two different responsibilities in FM Systems. One is strategy, really looking at sort of over the horizon where we need to be as a company and with our technology in the coming years. The other part is the actual product organization reports to me. So having direct responsibility for the actual outcomes of our day-to-day -day product business and developing solutions for you know the the market that we serve i've been in at fm systems for 10 years before that a number of years at autodesk i've spent my entire career primarily on the technology side related to building operations i'm actually an architect by trade so as in a you know draw buildings kind of architect not software architect 
And I began my career as a space and occupancy planner. So a whole career around buildings. Really excited to be part of this conversation, Carly, and thank you. So you can add a lot of stuff from, from many different perspectives. <laughs> <laughs> um, so welcome, so happy to have you here. And then finally, I'd also like to welcome Adrian Weigant, Director mm -hmm. account, and Account Executive of Contact.io. Adrian, thanks so much for joining us. Would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself? Um, Okay, well, um, my name is Adrian Weigand. Uh, I've been working in the finance and smart building field for the last 20 years. Uh, I'm currently responsible for everything smart building related at Contact.io. That's from hardware through the software solutions, analytics, and workplace transformation studies. So anything that involves carpeted space or smart buildings, that falls into my purview. Wonderful. Well, thanks for joining us. Very excited to have you here as well. So I guess I will start with Brian. Brian, can you talk to me a little bit about some successes and even failures in the hybrid workspace? You know, what can we do to give hybrid employees a more equitable experience? Yeah, that's a good question, Carly. And you know, you were mentioning early that some of us are working remotely and some of us are in the office. Um, I'm in a tech company, which kind of lends itself naturally to the hybrid workplace environment. And we're seeing that en masse across our industry. But that doesn't mean I'm never there. I was actually in the office Monday and Tuesday of this week and uh, at home the rest of the week. That's pretty much the typical chaotic cadence that I experience, not necessarily the days that I'm in the office, but pretty much centered around who's going to be there. That's the thing that drives me, really focused on things like ideation, you know, create, you know creativity amongst teams, culture building, those are the kinds of things that are driving us into the office right now. And I think the thing, the lessons learned is providing more access to that for not only our employees, but any occupants that come to our, our facilities, whether they be uh, visitors, um, clients, whatever that may be, providing them with information about our facility when they get there, making sure that that experience of arriving and understanding where to go is not the same as it used to be. We used to have a reception area, we used to have assigned seating, it was very easy to understand where you were going to go. Now we have employees who've been with our company for multiple years uh, through the pandemic. They come in uh, finding out where they can sit, finding out where the restrooms are, finding out where the break room is. They actually don't know. So anything that we can do to help them have a better experience uh, has really been something that we've been really trying to focus on. Yeah, I think that's really important. The way that we used to come to work before versus the way we come to work today is very different. A lot of people don't have their own space anymore and they're going to some shared desk and and you know, they don't it's it's they don't have a place to put their pictures in their office. And so there there's a lot that that can change around that. So Adrian, there's been a lot of discussion around preparing the tenant space for a hybrid environment. What as a landlord can I do to the common area, whether that be to the physical space or the building technology um, that can help prepare buildings for hybrid workers? Um, well, <clears throat> that's a very difficult question to answer because you know, on the one hand, we have to look at why are employees not coming into the office and why do employers want employees to come into the office in the first place? Um, th there's a lot of different papers and, and research on the advantages and disadvantages of working remotely, but primarily uh, knowledge transfer and corporate culture are the big drivers why companies need their employees to be on site in the office. Uh, 
And there's a lot of kind of factors that make it more difficult for employees to come in. So essentially, you, know, you have to overcome the negative uh, opportunity cost of going into the office. So you have the commute is probably the biggest one. So um, the occupiers and tenants, their objective is to, to pull the employees back to overcome the, uh, the commute to get into the office. And from a, a landlord's perspective, you know, the objective is to make the tenant and the occupiers happy so they don't leave or vacate your space. So essentially they're playing on the same team. So anything that they can do to incentivize the employees to come back into the office is, is a win for them. Um, that being said, if we're talking about the common spaces, the only real big things that they can do is improve the amenities, make it you know ever so much more attractive. Um, that being said, no amount of coffee and gummy bears is going to incentivize people to, to commute through New York to come there. But what you can also do is put technology in place, like as Brian said, wayfinding solutions so you can find your way around the building. You can have employee experience apps that tie in with all the different tenants in the building. And you can make your uh, property a lot more future facing, um, ready to adjust to, to changes in the market. Because I think everyone agrees that hybrid work hasn't really solidified yet. No one's entirely sure how long people are going to be working remotely and, and to what extent. So there's a very good chance that if there is a downturn in the economy, things might change when the power goes back into the hands of the employer, that everyone's going to be mandated to come into the office. So from, from a landlord's perspective, you want to maintain flexibility. So putting sensors and technology into your building that allow you to remain flexible and make it more attractive is, is really the objective. Yeah, I think, I think it's super difficult. There's no magical solution that we can do. I think we can, you know, try different things in different places. But it's interesting to me that you can have, you know, a an event for tenants and they might come back for an ice cream party but nobody wants to come in on a tuesday because nobody will be in the office so you know kind of i think giving as as an employer giving your your employees the tools to know who's going to be there and so that you know kind of this group everyone wants to be there when other people are there i think that that could be helpful too um, so, hey, you've been working in a mobile environment, I think, for your entire career, and I think you have a lot of perspective around design and execution. In, in your experience, what are people missing? Why are employees going back to the buildings for these curated events that I talked about, but not going to the office? And, and how can we adapt and change to that? It's funny, Carly, that you mentioned that because I was talking to a client recently and um, they said that the employees came in the afternoon for the curated events that the landlord was putting together, but actually was never in the office for the day. So, um, so it's, you know, I think what we're finding in this interesting time is, you know, the fit for purpose aspect of why you, you would want to return to work. Right. Um, and you know, when, when we think about, you know, the, uh, employee engagement and well-being being sort of the two big themes that you know Gallup continues to emphasize. Um, I think that real estate and workplace leadership has a role to play in this area, um, you know, leading through whatever that solution is. Um, uh, I think there's also, you know, to your point about the tech enablement side, um, just like we have a tech stack in all the tech solutions that we have, what we're missing is actually a workplace operating stack. Um, and it's it's largely the things that are needed to make it easier 
um, for people to actually understand how to work in this new way. Um, it's the process, it's the, the tech, it's the, um, the, the protocols, it's the change management, um, and it's also, you know, sort of that curated experience, which I think um, will become a focus of CRE discipline, um, you know, because it's, not, it's, it's almost less about construction, real estate, um, you know, project management. It's now we're in the workplace production business. Um, you know, where it's, it's not, it goes beyond workplace service provision. It's how do you actually produce, um, it, the events and the complements of spaces and the services that are needed, um, for this new, new way of working. Yeah. I think that, you know, real estate as a whole has become very hospitality focused. And I think this is kind of leading into the tenant space now. I don't know if it's, if it's a generational thing, but it, it hospitality is kind of leading into everything that we're doing. And so I think that, you know, making the workplaces um, as, as great of a place as we can to come back to is, is really important. Um, so Adriana, how much are you and others using technology to get people back into the office? What types of cat of or categories of technology are you using uh, or others using to accomplish this so you can get people back in? That's a amazing question because the conversation in the last you know couple of years has really evolved about you know around technology and and the way that things have accelerated it's it's just something that nobody even imagined so really leveraging that technology is not only going to aid us in continuing this connection between the office and the remote workers, but it's really going to help us create, you know, these intuitive spaces that support and enable, you know, that employee experience that we're really looking for. Um, technology can also aid in you create more equitable meetings, you know, enable the reservation of spaces, you know, provide access so that everybody has, you know, a broad range of services. And many companies are really looking to incorporate more sensors into the spaces now so that they can really monitor how the space is being used and make better decisions as they go forward. The thing is, you know, you have to take this data and really use it. A lot of what we're seeing is sometimes, you know, our clients collect the data and it's just there. We need to do um, better, you know, using that data. We have some clients that we've been really focusing. We have at least one client that is doing a lot of um, metaverse right now and immersive spaces and, you know, just biometrics. They're incorporating some of these things into specific areas of the design. So we're seeing it. We're seeing it already come through. And it's exciting because, again, we never thought we would be there this fast. And, and now it's just an opportunity to really leverage that technology and make good use of it and, and create great experiences for everyone when they come back to the office. Terrific. So you mentioned sensors. So and you mentioned not only having sensors, but, you know, taking the data and doing something with it. But let's start with how do people, employees feel about the sensors? Do they feel that they're being watched or has this just become commonplace today for you? I think it depends on how much power you give them. For example, if I'm collating data to give you an opportunity to find a space that is, it's about um, comfort level and it's not too warm or too cold, you're going to love that. You're going to make sure that you check in every day and you can see in an app 
what areas are warmer today or what areas are colder. And you are going to migrate and try to find opportunity to work in the area that fits you. And, you know, it's also about, you know, lighting levels, right? If you can give people the opportunity to go to a space that's set properly for what their need is, you know, if there's a meeting specifically where they want more quiet, if they want to focus, giving them that opportunity is important. So when you're collecting the data, it's not just collect the data to see who came in and who worked where. It's really creating those patterns to respond how we design the spaces so that they can really go and thrive. Um, because a lot of what we've seen in the past is, is complaints about acoustics, about lighting, about um, thermal um, levels. And, and this is all because we've never given people that opportunity. We've assumed that everybody, you know, gets to just go to the office and sit all in the same space. So as we collect the data, we have to make sure that we're incorporating that back into the design and giving people the choice and the ability to find where the where they feel best um, in a certain day of the work. Terrific, thank you. Um, Adrian, did you have any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I mean, there's when it comes to technology and sensors and buildings, there's kind of two tracks. One is the employee experience side of things, which Adriana was talking about, and that's a really important one. And it's kind of it's a lot easier to explain to the employees what the benefit to them is on that side. But from an employer perspective, where the real return is, is when you're monitoring how space is being used. So, you know, finding out how much space do I need, what type of space do I need. And there, uh, the industry has has made a lot of progress because when I started years ago, uh, the solution from a sensor technology perspective was little passive infrared sensors that you'd stick under a desk. And so employees would come in one day and find that there's something, you know, pointing between their legs below the desk and they were not very happy about it. And I can't tell you how many times those sensors then like disappeared or you had complaints coming in that somebody is spying on them with a tiny camera. Um, and so, you know, the next evolutionary step was to have headcount sensors on the ceilings where you have an optical camera that uses machine learning to find out how many people are in a space. And uh, that was infinitely better than having something pointing between your legs, but it's still a camera watching you. So that was kind of, eh, well, are they monitoring the space or are they monitoring me? Uh, and the newest evolution right now is to have thermal cameras. So it's just like a, a little heat map. So there's really no personally identifiable data. And so we've gotten to a point where it's possible to alleviate those those uh, misgivings that employees will have, but it still takes a lot of change management because you do have to explain to the employees what it is that you're monitoring, what the benefit to them is, and show them that it really is only uh, monitoring the space usage and not the individuals themselves. And and I can add I a little bit. Sorry, Carly. I think you just hit on the on the perfect point, Adrian. I mean, the change management it's it's something that for us has been critical as as we navigate into this new world of hybrid because we need to inform all the employees what's happening and what's what's coming and why things are happening, right? And I think this is something again that we have missed in the past. You know, it's just um, a lot of it has been just policies have been created without that integration. So, you know, to me, I think that's that you hit on a, on a great point about that change management, explaining the process, how are we really informing 
you know, this new phase of working, this new hybrid, you know, and how are we helping everyone navigate through this new system as well? So Adriana, if I may offer a perspective um, on the, uh, the AI machine learning and also how data can be harnessed, right? Um, one of our Diverse Alliance members is a, um, a founder of AI neurolinguistics uh, and technology. Um, and, and we're in discussions about how that can be applied to actually mm -hmm. harness um, natural language data that exists out there. And, um, and as opposed to doing kind of pulse checks or anything that is survey based, it literally is the treasure trove of data that exists in every single real estate system black box, right? Um, that it just constantly is learning from it. And actually, so those technologies exist already out in the marketplace in other sectors. They're being applied to consumer, you know, um, uh, goods companies. They're, they're being looked at omni-channel for how to manage client relationships and change management. So the question is, how do we take some of those elements and actually move into what we need to solve for? Carly, I'll, I'll just add one last thing, um, and I think it goes back to asking ourselves why, right? Why, why are we putting in sort of sensor technology and technologies to begin with? Part of the answer is that due to the sort of complexity of the round, the way the cadence of the people are using the workspace has gotten really chaotic. Humans are really terrible at recognizing complex patterns. I'm, be, I'm being a human, so I'm, it's okay that I'm dissing humans. We're just really terrible at recognizing complex patterns, especially patterns outside of our direct visual observation. Um, you know, people coming into the work uh, workplace at really odd intervals, different intervals. Um, technology is really purpose built to solve that. They never go to sleep. They never take vacations. They're just sitting there collecting information. And that could be, you know, passive information from sensors that are just tracking if people are coming in and where they're sitting open area sensor counters, but also systems that many of us already have in place. Badge swipe systems, uh, digital lighting systems, Wi-Fi, all of those, and even booking systems are all entry points for understanding how our workspace is being used. And ultimately, it's really, I think, about refocusing our existing space so that we're providing the right space for the activities that our occupants are expecting, as well as the, the hottest topic these days, especially in my industry, is future portfolio rationalization, you know, and what's going to happen to our existing real estate footprint <clears throat> as leases come up, as new building design and build decisions are being made, what are we going to provide um, as the space that serves the needs of our organization? And that could be not only our employees, but in healthcare, patient outcomes, higher education, student outcomes, all of those things really focused on the reason that all of this technology is making its way in is because it provides value to help us truly understand what's happening. I, I think that that's right. I think it provides a tremendous amount of value and we don't even know what some of that value will be. We're collecting the data and trying to kind of parse through it and figure it out. If I find out that the benefit is that I will always have my office be the correct temperature as opposed to the freezing office that I am in today because the person next <laughs> to me keeps putting their their thermometer down, but there's there's a lot of other benefits to be able to use the space more effectively and to get more out of it, as opposed to just coming to work and kind of doing your job. So I think there's there's a lot to it. So going back to Brian for a second, are there other things that companies should be thinking about when approaching a hybrid workspace? So for example, should we be revisiting our policies or 
other elements to improve our overall experience? Yeah, sure. So going back to the sensor thing earlier and, and uh, how it makes occupants feel, first of all, <clears throat> I think evolving HR policies just need to cover this. If you're going to be putting technology in place, if you're going to be sticking something on the wall in someone's office, just tell them, you know, make it a part of your policy to just let them know what what it's doing there and what its purpose is. You'll you'll find that no one will ever tell you it's there trying to identify who's in that space. Not in my market anyway. It's always about understanding, you know, how the space is being utilized and then providing, you know, what I would call more soft data to the employee. I talked to a Gartner analyst <clears throat> last week. She described it as Airbnb meets tender. And she was being a little bit provocative about that. But what she was saying was employees or occupants coming in want to know very clearly what that space is like. Do people like sitting there? Is there access to daylight? Is it loud? Is it quiet? And on the tender side, it's really about are there people that I want to sit around? Coworkers, co-employees. Maybe, maybe there's even people I want to avoid. But it's really about truly having that picture. Because going back to what Adrian was saying really at the beginning of this, People are trying to figure out why they're going to go in. And if they're going to go in, what is that experience going to be like? Is it going to be a, a pleasant experience or am I going to be sitting in a high walled cube by myself? And why would I ever do that? Why would I fight through the mm -hmm. commute? Why would I go through that experience just to have an isolated um, environment? Doesn't make sense. I will admit before I book to come into the office these days, which clearly was not even an option for us before COVID, I look to see who else is coming in that day right. and where they're going to be located. Because if it's not worth it, if I'm going to be the only one and the lights turn off when my office door is closed because there's no one outside, might as well be at home. So, you know, you want to be intentional and really think about it. So. Adrian, is there like a workplace experience software that can help improve experiences of being in the office? Or can you describe a few categories of softwares that can be helpful? Uh, well, regrettably, there's no perfect solution out there yet. Um, every, every larger company that I know is trying to create their own in-house employee experience app. Um, and there's a lot that kind of goes into the, the whole idea of an employee experience app. Right now, uh, companies are trying to create that to, again, incentivize employees to come into the office to make them feel more uh, a part of the corporate culture, uh, to give them added benefits to, to maintain the employees so they don't go off to some other company while they're working from home. But I think the story behind the employee experience app started maybe three years ago, and that's when most companies in the U.S. still had static workplace concept and assigned seats. So Bob sat at Bob's seat and John sat at John's seat. And then, you know, you know, early 2019, companies started making the switch to agile environments with hoteling and hot desking with originally the goal of cramming as many people into as small of a footprint as possible to reduce your overall facility and real estate cost. So that was like the real driver of smart building solutions. Then along came COVID and obviously cramming a lot of people into a small amount of space was an absolute no-no. So the same technology was used to make sure you don't have too many people in the space. But the employee experience app originally was supposed to help when you're making that transition from assigned seating to flexible work to maintain productivity. Because if Bob comes into the office and Bob doesn't know where his seat is and he doesn't know where John is in the building, then it becomes very hard to collaborate and had, had to work effectively. And so employee experience apps were originally there to book a seat, make reservations and find your colleagues. 
So those are pretty much the, the core tenants of an employee experience app. It's finding your way around the office and finding your colleagues. And so with the sensor technology that's being put in buildings today, you know, with the headcount sensors for occupancy, you can do the first part of that, you know, book a space and find my space. But the finding the colleague is a lot more tricky because all of a sudden you're looking at personally identifiable data because you're looking for someone specifically. So you need technology to facilitate that. And then the other thing is wayfinding is a real big part of employee experience apps. If you have a good wayfinding solution, you can make it you know, usable and give people incentive to use it in the first place. But um, putting you know, Bluetooth beacons in the entire building to facilitate uh, wayfinding can be extremely expensive. So you, so like the whole smart building solution needs to create a very clear ROI, why you're putting the technology in the building to generate the returns that allow you to invest in wayfinding and, and all the other aspects of an employee experience app. So it's kind of a one, two step process. And so from, from my perspective, what companies really should be doing right now is not just looking at the occupancy side of things, but really trying to create you know, a full solution that has uh, employee experience, that has wayfinding, that has occupancy, that has staff address and safety. So all of those solutions in one, so you can create a good business case for it. And all of that information then can feed into an employee experience app where then your HR department can then add in some additional features to it. So it, it's a very complicated process and every company that I know is working on a solution, uh, but you need to really be talking to a lot of people and I think we're still maybe a year or two away from, a, from an ideal solution. Have many companies rolled out employee experience apps? I've seen many that have been rolled out and died immediately because people just didn't want to use them. Um, I think it's getting better, but it's also very much a generational thing. Uh, for younger people, having an app and using it is, is very intuitive. For my generation and up, it tends to be like, why why do I want to have another app on my phone? Why do I want to have to learn something new? But you know, I, I think we're getting there, but it's, it really needs to have a very, very compelling use case why you should be using it and counter to what you would think uh, having a hybrid work environment really you know does not create the incentive to use an app because if i can work at home without having to use anything and everything is nice and smooth because i'm used to my workplace uh, coming into the office and having to pull up an app and having to reserve something and look for someone that's like an additional hassle so trying to find a solution that makes that seamless is, is one of the big goals I've seen examples of where oh, I, I was just going to make a comment around the apps. Um, I, I've seen examples in corporates where um, it's not only about wayfinding, but it's also uh, you have you can order food, um, you know, that allows you to actually tie into many of the amenities and services. Um, so it's it's all around, which is um, uh, you have to have stickiness. So. So it's yep. interesting as, as a landlord, we've been rolling out tenant experience apps throughout throughout our buildings from a landlord perspective. And you can order food and book amenities and conference rooms and book your gym, but it, it stops at the building. It doesn't go into the employee space. So this is kind of, it'd be interesting to see if there's a way to kind of connect the two. I think that's far, far in the future, but you know, that would make it more useful, one fewer thing for someone to to log into and but for me when I come into the office I I would just love to know who's going to be here and where they're going to be sitting and there is I don't have an app for that so I think that would be 
a great first step for us. Um, I actually saw an article, I think it was yesterday, that was talking about a company who effectively did their technology design for their space entirely before they did their build out. And so, you know, the entire space is filled with sensors. They have more, they flipped the amount of collaborative space versus individual space from, you know, 70, 30 of individual space to collaborative space to the opposite. And it was completely technology focused to bring people together. But on the people finding side of things, would you be willing to give up your privacy to be able to find your colleagues in, in a building? Uh, that that's the big question right now because we do business internationally and in Europe it's just not really possible mm -hmm. and that's what makes the the people finder function very difficult whereas here in the US you have a lot more leeway in terms of you know you're swiping into the building so there's already data on you in the system um, but would you really want people to be able to find your location you know is, is Carly at work right now or standing next to the water cooler talking to friends <laughs> I would be willing to, but I'm not sure about everyone else. Well, I think that's the number one kind of issue that employee experience apps face right now. So you really, again, need to create a compelling value story for the employee for them to be to accept that. I think there's a there's a slight delta there, and that is many people are perfectly willing to let you know what desk they're at um, if they're in a meeting. But outside of that, the break room, restroom, et cetera, they're not really interested in letting you know that. So, you know, there's sort of a, a give and take there, I think, about what those systems are actually providing. And, you know, once again, I think it comes back to asking the question before you implement something like an employee experience app, what are you trying to solve? We've had, I've seen too many of our clients buy an employee experience like platform and then try to stuff things into it without asking themselves what they were trying to accomplished to begin with. And then they get a bunch of stuff that is kind of interesting, but do you really need the weather in an employee experience app? I mean, I've got the weather right on the home screen on my phone. Um, and there's a lot of replication. And going back to the age difference, um, you know, younger employees tend to, if it doesn't solve a direct need, swipe up and it's gone. It's just literally gone. So there's, a, I think there's a very narrow window for successful adoption of technologies like that, that um, if it's not successful, it's going to be rejected pretty quickly. And and I, I used to think that, you know, businesses had ultimate control. Well, businesses are really having a hard time even telling employees to come in. You know, there's they've got a far less control than they used to. And I think the hybrid work environment, we're seeing things like productivity not even being affected. Now, if you're doing things like direct patient outcomes in healthcare, it's tough to fix someone's broken bone if you're in Des Moines, Iowa, and they're in Washington, D.C. That's not... That's not necessarily the experience you want to have, but for the most part, for most organizations where most of their occupants primarily sit to do their job, that, that's a different experience. And it's becoming really, uh, really interesting to see how, how we're all um, evolving. Um, Brian, do you think that that power that the employees have is here to stay? Because my, my fear is, uh, if there's an economic downturn, companies can just mandate that their employees come in, and they will, you know, for fear of losing their jobs. So yeah, I agree, and I, and we're seeing that, right? We're seeing certain companies, some of them in the news more than they probably want to be, mandating it. It's not been really successful so far. I'm I'm still in a highly competitive environment, being in tech 
um, and we're not seeing that. I think ultimately we'll see some sort of level set and we'll see sort of a maybe a somewhat of an increase to occupancy levels increasing, but I'll go on the record now saying not in my career am I ever going to see pre-pandemic occupancy levels or approach to the office, which is assigned seating, maximizing how many people are squished into a spot. I just think workers, the, the entire workforce has been come part far too savvy and they've proven that they can get their job done highly effectively mm-hmm. without wasting multiple hours per day stuck in traffic in new york city on the gw bridge or outside of dc um you know it's just and and as we look at things like esg driving organizations to th- start thinking more clearly about sustainability as it affects their bottom line they're going to be making i think different real estate decisions focused on not only just employee wellness productivity, but also things like their sustainability footprint as they do their reporting. Uh, it's going to be really important. All of those things lend me to believe that employees will continue to have a certain level of power to choose where and when they're going to work. And just to add, Brian, to that, I think for me, one of the problems that we're seeing is a lot of companies are focused too much on productivity and not on quality. And um, and I think this is where we're going to start seeing maybe a change or, you know, just something that gears us in one direction more than the other. Because, again, the quality of the work sometimes and, and the production, you know, there are different paths, right? But the quality sometimes is not there. But it's not there also because we got used to multitasking, to focusing on too many things, to not have the right setting in place. So the quality is coming down, right? And and we're seeing we're seeing a trend a lot in, in some of the research we've done where the quality of the work um, when you're full like hybrid and, and just more remote than in person is declining but it also has to do with you know mental health and really what's happening because you know you're on a zoom call or you're on a webinar and you're doing 10 things at a time so you're exhausted and your quality of what you're delivering sometimes is not the same so i think we have to be careful with you know that part as well and not just focus too much on the production and see what the impact is later as as you know we we see what's happening in the next year or so well, I also think on that note, the, the real drawbacks and disadvantages of remote work uh, haven't really materialized yet because we haven't been doing it long enough. But in the, the biggest issue that I see is knowledge transfer. You know, if someone wants mm-hmm. to, if I'm retiring and someone's supposed to take my job, if they can follow me around for three months, they'll learn and figure out what I'm doing. Whereas if they have three months of scheduled Zoom calls to find out what I'm doing, that's that's not going to help much at all. So, you know, the longer this goes on, the more likely we're going to see the new generation or newer employees struggle to kind of gain productivity as fast as it has been in the past. And the other thing is, again, you know, being attached to your company, the corporate culture, if, if it's all remote, it's so much harder to manage. I mean, yeah. you know, how, how do you so? Actually, one of the first indicators, I think, is going to be where organizations are hiring employees. You know, in tech, we adopted a strategy during the pandemic that was we're going to hire wherever the talent is, right? Because we're all working remotely, and I don't care if you live in the Yukon. <clears throat> if you have a fast internet connection and you can write software code, you're, we're probably going to hire you. But I think we'll start to see, uh, and we've had, even had conversations ourselves, like 
when do we shift back to saying we're going to start hiring where our offices are? Because there is something that I feel personally is kind of slightly missing, and that's sort of that sort of just culture around camaraderie, the things that happen when we're in the office, the things that we're happening together just are simply not possible at 100% remote. That may have something to do with my age. I don't know. I'm probably closer to the end of my career than I am the beginning, at least. Gosh, I hope so. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think it, it comes down to that. Like, I think one of the first indicators will be hiring practices might be an indicator, um, Adrian, as to, um, you know, are people going to be encouraging us to come back into the office more often? Well, the other thing is that historically, when we've been in similar situations, you know, the next step has been to have satellite offices where you're hiring your employees. So if you find out that the talent mm -hmm. tech is off in, in the Yukon somewhere, then you end up with an office there. Um, and that, that overcomes a lot of like the, the issues with coming going to work right now, because if there's no real commute, I mean, if I can just fall out of the front door and be in the office, I'd be in the office every day because, you know, why not? Whereas... Right. I'm 45 minutes north of Boston. It can take me between two and four hours to get into the office. Like, I need right. a lot of gummy bears to get me to go in. So, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting, you know, with, I think with people who've been in their jobs for a really long time, either in the same company or who have, um, or, who have you know been in the industry for a long time and they have built connections um, within their company and elsewhere i think that they are able to you know be successful in a hybrid or a remote environment it's the people who are newer in their careers who need training and mentorship and you know those are the people who i think could benefit more from you know, being in the office and sitting with someone and doing something together and watching how it's done. I think those are the things that we're missing. And we're going to find that this, you know, newer generation of workers who started during the pandemic when they were 100% at home are, are coming up the curve a little slower. And so they see the benefits of being in the office. And, you know, the problem is you, you need the senior leaders to go back as well to kind of inspire people. But there's two schools of thought. There's the thought that everyone should come back to the office or a downturn will do that for us or maybe we should hire the talent wherever it is and i you know i i i hear you adrian that maybe a downturn does this and forces everyone back because if you're there you're top of mind but you know don't know what's going to happen so one of the things about being home or being not in the office that you spend a lot of time in front of the screen um Adriana, can you talk a little bit about neurodiversity and, and how people are responding to all of this screen time? Yeah, and I think I'm having connectivity issues. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, yes. we can. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I lost connection there for a, a little bit. We're having technical issues here at the office. Um, so, you know, we've we've been really uh, focused in the last five years at HOK in the topic of neurodiversity, and it's it's a subject that's really dear to my heart. And and my, you know, my passion for it is that right now, as everybody has come back to the office, we're going to have this heightened sensitivity to our environment. So we really need to think about the mental um, uh, disabilities as well, because that's something that again needs to be looked into. Everybody 
we've been all talking about the ability to have choice and different environments and give people that power and that autonomy. And it's not only just about designing, you know, variety of huddle rooms, but what does that mean, right? For, for people that are on the spectrum and that are neurodiverse, right? Some people require more of a quiet setup. Some people require a little bit more of a, um, you know, vibrant space where they can see people walking by um, to actually concentrate. So it, it's, it goes back also to having equity in the space and making sure that we're giving everyone an opportunity um, to thrive. So the, the focus that we do, again, is, is having that choice and, and different settings in the environment so that it responds to all individuals. Um, again, a lot of goes back to, you know, what exactly does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things in terms of space and we could go on and on. I mean, I could speak all day about this, um, but I think just raising that awareness and, and making sure that we know it's something that's gonna be, you know, important um, as we move forward with all the mental, um, I guess, impact that, that this pandemic had on, on many. So we, we need to make sure we continue to address that and educate and evolve and, and just you know, bring that as just something that we do as part of our design. And I think I Paige, you, also, you also have a, a good probably point of view in, in terms of the equity, right? Because I think a lot of what this means is, is just you know, making equitable experiences for everyone, right? Not everybody has, um, uh, the ability to to have an experience um, that will relate the same to to another person on the other side of the spectrum. So um, I think that's important. As, I, as I, yeah, I, go ahead, Peg. Oh, no, I was just going to uh, say that, uh, you know, we're in this interesting space of creating that equitable experience is really tough because the technology is not perfect. And if you've got people in different places, some are online, some are in person. Um, it, it, you know, it really is a gap and that can use some more innovation. And um, I know in our last uh, conversation, we talked about there are some tech out there that, you know, are starting to address this where, um, you know, it, it creates a, a hybrid experience in a more connected way. Um, but uh, it's definitely that's one of the things that, you know, when it comes to diversity, you want to make sure that, you um, you know, all of the factors and the different types of diversities are, are being addressed, right? Because ultimately you don't want to exclude anybody, whether it's in person or on or digitally. Yeah. yeah, I was going to point out that economic disparity, even even within the companies that we work in. So, you know, right at the beginning of the pandemic, everybody went home, you were expected to be online. It's fine for me, big office, I've got very fast internet connectivity, my children are grown but I'm dialing into calls with people who have a very different experience. Maybe they're early in their career reporting to me, they're crammed into their kitchen. Uh, and you know, we think that the solution is, to the problem is, oh, we let you take your laptop home or, or here's a couple of monitors to take home with you without any sort of um, opening to address the fact that maybe they didn't even have a place to sit uh, where they could quietly work or uh, focus. So access to that. And then uh, that, that really is a very complex issue to solve. It can't be solved simply by technology. It's got to be solved by some other form of equity uh, about access to resources, et cetera. But that, that's a tough one. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I had employees who were living in New York, living in tiny little apartments, working from their bed because they didn't have a desk and therefore couldn't mm-hmm. have the two monitors to be able to like do their jobs appropriately. They started going in the office when no one else was there because they had no other option. There were others who had, you know, a small two bedroom apartment with two kids who were both being homeschooled at the same time and two working parents and no places to go to be able to get on a Zoom call. So it's really hard to create those experiences. And, you know, is there, do we need to put more policies in place in addition to technology? Is there more that we need to think about? I don't know if anyone has any thoughts on that. So it goes back to that work operating stack that is missing. um, And that stack is going to look different for every company. Um, You know, I I, I think that's, you know, the leaders that are solving for this need to really think through what are the layers that they're solving for. You know, I mean, I think one of the levers that we can pull is, especially since, you know, we've, for the most part, moved past the pandemic and things like schools have returned to a more normal cadence providing that experience people really have to have a reason to come into the office and there's a there's a lot of trend i hear this often as workplace is a destination really creating that environment that makes people feel uh, a lot better about coming into the office not isolating them into a, in a cubicle but providing that experience for uh, that sort of broad experience I mean, it doesn't have to be just about collaboration it could be about having a really wonderful space to focus in or huddle rooms access to technology and not marginalizing people who are dialing in i've been this has been sort of a big focus of mine is how do we when we return to the office and we've got a hybrid environment we've got some people around a table but half or more of the people are dialing in remotely how can we not go to those pre-pandemic um uh, sort of patterns that we had where we would typically marginalize people who are dialed in virtually and they're you know they're using the little hand icon and zoom and things like that that's just not not good and there's technology uh, evolving i shared with you guys some technology that we've been using uh, a device that goes in the center of a conference room table that puts everyone on the same um you know on the same level in terms of the way they're experiencing the virtual versus in-person physical environment that's been kind of very cool and, and groundbreaking for us but I think organizations really need to think clearly about what that experience is going to be like, not only for people who do come in and can get in, but who are dialing in because, you know, we accepted that it's hybrid. Now you can work anytime, anywhere in many organizations. uh, And we need to, I think, provide things that enable us all to have be on an even playing field to the best of our ability. In in this article, sorry about that, Adriana. In this article that I was looking at yesterday, they were talking about using that technology you were talking about, Brian, with you know the camera in the middle of the table. Something that this company did to to add to that was they put almost a triangular shaped table so that everyone had a view of the screen and everyone could could see the screen and the the camera could see them. And so they looked like they were a part of it. It didn't, it, you're not looking down this long table and seeing the side of everyone's head and not able to see anyone. So I think we have to be a lot more creative around that. Yeah. 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 And, and a lot of what we do, you know, it's, it's really going back to understanding and asking the right questions, right? Because you need to know what is really the purpose of going to the office and what's the purpose of 
the meeting that you're having and and what does that room really serve because a lot of mistakes that we've always done and, and you were right brian it's like we don't want to go back to that you know long conference table where you had a phone and people would forget about you there we need to make sure we understand what's happening because sometimes it's about removing that table completely in in a meeting and make sure you have a large screen that everybody's integrated. I mean, we've seen so many options in terms of technology that clients and, and, and companies are doing to try to integrate the virtual and um, and again, in the in-person. A lot of what happened in COVID that was actually good for everyone, we were all on the same level. We were all, you know, like we're right now, a little, you know, where on the screen, everybody had the same, you know, um, equity in, in a meeting, but as we're coming back, there's people right now sitting in a room and others on the phone and they feel lost. So we need to make sure we understand if we're doing that, what's the technology to support that meeting that we're having? And are we having the right setup? You know, does it have to be, you know, round screens that wrap up a full wall? Do we have to have full immersion? Do we have to have cameras? I mean, there's so much I think that still needs to get uncovered on how we're going to do this, but it's going to be a different solution for every company and every client. So well, can I ask, I, oh, go ahead, Adrian. Well, one of the big things that I think we also should mention here is all the stuff that we're talking about, be it kind of the Cisco video that you're referring to, Carly, or, you know, the, the technology that you're referring to, Adriana, all of that adds up really fast in terms of cost for a company. So mm -hmm. that I think is, is really the difficult part where, you know, the market has to decide this is the new standard so people can invest in it instead of trying out all these different things and ending up with a bunch of sunk costs if people all come back to the office or if there's a better, newer technology out there. So can I ask a different question? So we have all these technologies within our conference room and we're all, in the, you know, maybe we're all the same size boxes or it's it's equitable during the meeting. What happens before and after the meeting where the people in the room are all talking to each other and the people on the phone don't get to be a part of that or at the water cooler? Like, is there any way to bridge that gap? But don't don't we already have the same thing where, you know, people can be chatting in, in some kind of chat system the whole time instead of talking to other people? So it goes in the opposite direction, too. I mean, I don't think we're ever going to be at a spot where everything is identical for everyone involved. Yeah, that's an interesting one, Adrian, because it goes back to your your um, question earlier about, especially in Europe, people don't necessarily want to be providing access to where they are, um, and things like GDPR and the compliance around privacy is is very different. So, you know, <laughs> I was thinking, Carly, when you asked that question, when I leave a meeting, am I supposed to leave my like speaker on? And I am certainly not going to do that because then you're going to hear the dog barking and conversations that you know it's that would just be such a strange thing i think the one thing i was thinking about is that you know most cultures and i hear this quite a bit including our own organization we really try to question why we're having so many meetings because there was this trend at the beginning of the pandemic oh my goodness i need to be in meetings all the time i need to connect to people i need to have my calendar filled with meetings so that everyone can see that i'm really super busy because i'm no longer in the office in front of them now we're all asking ourselves you know, should we be in this meetings? And as executives are always saying, you know, if you don't have to have a meeting, don't have a meeting. Let's get back to, you know, heads down and focusing on um, the projects that you're working on. But then on the flip side, we say, come back to the office. We're going to provide you a great place to have meetings. So 
Which one is so, it? <laughs> so what's funny is in the beginning of the pandemic, we all had meetings, right? We all had hour long meetings or half hour long meetings. We might have had a half hour long meeting for something that could have been a five minute conversation in the hallway, but now we're taking a half an hour and actually using an entire half an hour to do that. And we we weren't really efficient because you didn't have these organic times that you were running into people and you know just walking past them. And so I think that's that's a reason to come back. It's not about the formal meetings. And then, you know, should we be putting policies in place? And I think we've talked a little bit around policy of hybrid, but where meetings are 50 minutes instead of 60. So you have 10 mm -hmm. minutes for a bio break or to to interact with other people. Like are are companies implementing that sort of strategy? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, we went from back to back to uh, 45 minute, 25 minute, uh, and then, you know, segments of the day where there's no meetings for, for more heads down time, right? Because people need to decompress um, mm -hmm. and never mind the bio breaks. But, um, uh, you know, I think I think everybody's got a different strategy and, and companies um, that went the uh, one day a week in the office um, just so that there's a common day. And then everything else is like more department driven. Um, there was magic in that as well, right? So, um, I, I, you know, and, and and I think the pivoting back to the office and the new behaviors that come with that, um, that's going to take time to settle out. Um, the the key, I think that we've come full circle of the what is the question that we're trying to answer? It's in essence, how do you actually uh, design fit for purpose? in a cost sustainable way, because we've covered a lot of ground that costs a lot of money to Adrian's point. Um, and, and the fit for purpose, you know, has, has a premium. Um, so the question is, how do you actually deliver that stack and, and, you know, in a way that you can still afford. And then um, I'm going to jump in and, Oh, sorry, go ahead, Adrian. No, just to add to that, we've actually, um, you know, when we help clients with change management, change management, we've developed strategies that we give our client lists and we you know flat out tell them you have to have hybrid meeting strategies you cannot keep doing this right you have to implement this this goes back to what i was saying at the beginning a lot of this and the success of hybrid goes back to the operational side not just the space itself the operational you need to be telling your employees to adjust their schedule, to make sure that the meetings are not scheduled 60 minutes back to back. You need to make sure there's booking, you know, the meetings when they're virtual, virtual, when they're remote, remote. And if they are hybrid, you need to be intentional. You need to know who needs to be in the meeting. You need to reassess and make sure that. So it's it's also about, you know, re-evaluating the way we do this and, and again, teaching our, our clients and our companies and walking them and helping them get there um, successfully because it's not just about you know having the the right setup and the right technology but how are we using that technology to make sure it's successful and not falling back to we're gonna you know not have the best of the hybrid because again let's make sure we have the operational as well as the space in place so what's interesting is that we can plan for right now right we can plan for today it might be super expensive if we want to implement all the technologies and everything into our workplace to get it perfect today. But the pace of technology change is so fast. So, you know, what's going to happen? What are we going to see in five or 
10 years from now, like where's our workplace going? I think I, I would hope that maybe each of you has a different take on it, but what do we see in five years and maybe 10 years? Pay, I'll start with you. Um, so it took 30 years in a pandemic for hoteling to become widely adopted. Um, so, um, so that's the context that I have. Um, but, you know, I was talking to a UI partner um, about Web3, um, which, you know, uh, progressive companies are starting to look into. Um, and the, the partner said Web3 will be available by 2030. Uh, that's just around the corner, right? So, so then the question then becomes, you know, the, the likes of Accenture, Meta, Microsoft companies that are out there already testing the metaverse, right? Um, I think there's a there's a place for that. Um, it's probably not going to replace, you know, uh, all work will not go online into a metaverse, but it is augmenting reality um, in real life plus metaverse in some way. Um, and, 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 and it's useful and we're seeing it in, you know, entertainment and commerce. And um, it, it's right now for really for, for entertainment, concerts, you know, but eventually as we do that in life, the same way we adopted this stuff, right? Um, we'll start to transact in, you know, where you see something in the metaverse and you, you wanna buy it or you want that experience, et cetera. I don't know that it will come into work um, in my lifetime, um, but uh, but that is where we're going. Some elements of that. That's my projection. So it's interesting that you said that it took a, a pandemic to make hoteling kind of real. In the start of the pandemic, nobody wanted to share anything. Nobody wanted to be near people. And now all of a sudden we're coming out of it. And this is like, you know, the new normal. So, you know, who's to say what's going to happen in five or 10 years? So, uh, Adrian, do you have any thoughts on that? Where will we be in the future? Well, I'm not a prophet, um, but if I look at the data right now, and now is a really good time for companies to be measuring how employees use space because there's nobody in the office so people can work freely to their heart's content to the way they want to. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing a little bit of a different trend than what everyone else is talking about. I see people going into the office, going into a meeting room, closing the door and sitting in there alone. So people have gone like the, the roundabout way to have private offices. And, I, and I'm assuming that most of them just use it as like a nice Zoom backdrop, that, they, that it's not a home, but like a formal office environment. But I'm not seeing these you know, big collaboration events that everybody keeps talking about, just from a data perspective, because you just don't have a lot of people sharing a bunch of space at the same time. So that might be just the industries that I'm dealing with. But I do expect there to be a very strong differentiation uh, in our society between kind of like the the people who are capable of working remotely versus the ones that have to work in person. And, and I assume that remote working is going to become more of like a perk or a bonus uh, later on, like, you know, a few years from now and, and not the norm the way we're seeing it right now, just because I see too many issues in remote working uh, for companies in the long run. So I have. I think we're kind of going to go back to the way it was a few years ago, not quite as rigid, but um, I don't, I think right now we're at the wildest part of, of our, of our entire kind of like life cycle when it comes to remote working, but I might be completely wrong. Uh, I think it's still too early to tell. Okay. Brian, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the, the way space is going to be defined in the future is not within the four walls of a building like we currently do, but it's going to be wherever we're working. 
that is going to lead to, I think, a further blurring of the line between virtual and physical space. And further out, I believe that most organizations are, and this might be a little provocative, it might make you guys a little nervous, but I think the way we look at the space that we provide uh, to our employees way out, uh, there may be a blurring also between how we think about the office and how we think about we actually have a footprint in our employees' homes. We're sending technology there. They've got laptops. They've got computers or they've got um, screens. They'll probably have sensors in the future. We may be providing more access to internet connectivity and capabilities. And I think as part of that sort of expansion uh, and blurring between physical and virtual and ultimately the metaverse, it's going to be natural for us to sort of think about our portfolios as being a combination of what we have as physical space for the organization as well as what our employees have themselves. Interesting. And Adriana, do you have any thoughts on this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we've all been talking about, and we're seeing this already, right? The Internet of Things, augmentation, metaverse, biometrics. I mean, we're even seeing drones, tech caves for clients, um, all these immersing spaces and, and everything we're talking about, this emerging technologies, we're already incorporated into, into spaces. Like I said, we have clients that are already doing this. So I don't see that's going to be too far out. Um, but as all this continues to evolve, I do have to say that, you know, we have to be careful because the more high tech, the more high touch is is what we're seeing. Right. You know, we're humans and, and we can go very high tech, but we need to become and stay authentic to our experiences and, and really make sure that we're not forgetting that. So we foresee this leveraging of technology, something that's really great. But we have to also make sure we're enabling, you know, the organic space and, and focusing on human centric experiences, right? Because we're human and, and, and these experiences need to be authentic. You know, we have to be very careful and um, how we leverage that technology, uh, because at the end of the day, you know, we're really celebrating here the human element and that's who we want to focus on. We need we we cannot design spaces just for technology. We have to design the spaces for people. So the only thing that I worry is, again, with all this technology growing, we cannot forget that there's a human element to make sure that the spaces are responding to the human need. So do you think that, that company leadership is prepared for this, that they're ready for these kinds of changes? Or do you think companies also have to adapt to get ready for this in the future to kind of facilitate this now? That's a great question. So we're a lot of what we're seeing again, and we focus a lot on the human experience. We have to remind our clients again when they want to design a space and they tell us, "I want a huge 30-foot, you know, screen wall and you know, 20 feet high." We're like, "Okay, let's let's stop for a second, right? What is this for? And and let's just not forget who's going to use the space, right?" Um, I think. I think everybody's ready and, and everybody's eager to keep growing and letting technology, you know, dictate a lot of the spaces, right? Because again, it's the fourth forward of technology is here and technology is it's it's part of what we're seeing that give us that extra layer of the experience that we hadn't lived before, right? You walk into a space and you come to this amazing screen and you're immersed by that experience and you want to be part of it, right? And you want to you want to integrate, you want to touch it, you want to do everything. But as 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 clients um, get ready for that, we have to again make sure that 
we don't forget who the space is for, right? And and the human side of it. So I think I think everybody's ready. I think it's just more how we get there, right? And again, it's it's going faster than what we anybody thought it would be, I think. Um, but it, it's, you know, I think now as we're coming back and we're living it and we're really enjoying these spaces that we're designing and that we're seeing the technology, it's starting to sink in how all this is it's working together and we're human, we'll adapt quickly and, and we'll make sure that, you know, everybody knows um, how, how all this comes together and, and how we celebrate technology and humans. So uh, when I was at the Great. Reuters conference yesterday, um, you know, to, to your question about leadership, um, what was bubbling up in terms of themes, and these are very distinct different words that are being used by the CEOs that presented yesterday. And they talked about authenticity, leading with authenticity. They talked about transparency. They talked about value alignment, and they talked about trust. And this is regardless of what sector you're talking about. Um, these are not words that you probably pre-pandemic would be, you know, mentioned um, by every single CEO that presented um, in the sessions that I heard yesterday. So I think I think um, the the leadership is prepared and having those conversations, and and I think that is the the next generation that human centricity is absolutely, you know, Adriana, you're spot on with that. I would have to say, Carly, that Adrian and I probably feel strongly about this answer. We certainly, we certainly think so, or we wouldn't be in the technology business providing technology to organizations that are adopting it very quickly. So, um, yeah, I'll just leave it there. I, I mean, the good thing about that being in technology is that we're exposed to literally hundreds and hundreds of global organizations who are looking at this technology and adopting it. So it's not an edge case, it's becoming common case. And that's what's happening every single day. Great. So I think we only have a few minutes left. We do have a couple of questions from the audience that I might wanna ask you guys. So what are we doing to help employees switch up how they're working every day? Home one day, office one day, co-location one day. It's lots of changing and adapting. It might not be easy for some. So how do we manage that? You know, there's a little bit of inertia. If you're, stay, if you're at home, you might want to stay at home. So if anyone wants to jump in and talk about how we can manage that, if there's some strategies you have to make this more successful. Anybody? So I, we, I, I'll, I'll yeah, talk I'll, about. Oh. I can talk about it, but you guys go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So I, I personal strategies and also to use a tech concept of time boxing, right? So I think you almost have to chunk your times, and and to your point, um, you, you need to figure out a network of nodes. So this morning I started with a client presentation status meeting in Lower Manhattan. My my. My office is in Midtown. Um, then I went to a DEI committee meeting. So I'm sitting uh, you know, in M. Moser's office right now. Um, and then from there, I'm gonna go back to the Reuters conference, which is at a convenient location. So that's my day. Um, and so you know, it's, it's, it's figuring out how do you actually chunk the days that you're in a particular account, having a network of nodes that you can operate out of that is effective. So, um, Brian? Yeah, I think there's there's just a lot of soft and hard data, but there's also, you know, economic trends that will dictate that we can't really pull the levers on. You can do everything you want to encourage people to come back, but in highly competitive and 
uh, industries, it's difficult. You can't tell a software engineer they have to come into the office in New York when all they have to do is dial up 30 people and get a job somewhere else. There's just no leverage there. As the economy shifts and organizations, you know, regretfully let people go, that lever is going to change. It's going to be something different. Some industries will be impacted more than others. No matter how hard I would try, there's no way I could ever produce, build a production vehicle on my property. That's going to have to be in a factory or industrial location. So those, it really is industry specific in that instance. So economic factors, industry factors, um, as well as um, just the general acceptance that many people have gotten really used to very quickly, the hybrid work environment and all of the surveys are saying they want that mix to continue. So, you know, it's personal sentiment is they want it to continue. I, I would agree with that. Um, I'm not sure if we have time for any more questions. We only have two minutes left and here's Chuck right on cue. Yep, yep, yep. I, a great conversation. Uh, always, uh, always a pleasure. Thank you, guys. I think a uh, couple observations that was interesting. The 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 uh, remote connections sometimes can be uh, very, very different than if you were in the office. Like for example, we had one person. Uh, you almost feel somewhat disconnected, and so one person was talking, and the other person was going. <laughs> And, and, and they would have never done that reaction, that body language in the office directly with them. But I think with some of that level of separation. Uh, interestingly enough, the, the, the way the windows were positioned on my computer, Pei's uh, window behind her was right next to Adriana's window. So as one person was walking, they turned it to a different person. <laughs> it just made me made me smile. It was a little bit funny. So uh, uh, again, great job. Uh, thank you, Carly, for moderating. Thanks to all the panelists for your just incredibly valuable contributions today. Lots of information to process. And thank you to the live audience for, be, for being so active with incoming questions. I, I know we have some that we didn't get to, and so I will send those out to the group. You can respond to those individuals directly if you choose. Uh, for those of you viewing this as a recording, we are planning to put the links and the handouts on the same page as the webinar recording. I think our technology allows us to do that, so check for that. And whether you've joined us live or watching this as a recording, uh, thank you again for tuning in. Be sure to register for our second webinar in the CRE Tech Innovation Outlook series called Real Estate Automation Technologies. That's one week from today, December 8th. I'll be your moderator for that one. Uh, intelligent buildings technology on December 15th. And I think we have uh, an announcement here, never too soon to begin thinking about Realcom IvyCon 2023 in June at Caesars Palace. So uh, lots of great connectivity. Many of the people you saw here will likely be there. So be sure and check that out, get registered soon. You save a lot of money. Uh, so with that, again, thanks to the panel. Thank you to the sponsors. We love doing these things and putting them on. Looking forward to a great schedule in 2023. And I will see you guys again uh, next week on uh, the same bat channel. And uh, if I if I have to get our avatar to do it, I hope my avatar looks like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. So that way, uh, you know, I, I, used, I used to be cool when I was younger. I thought I was, I'm not cool anymore. So uh, anyway, thank you again. We'll wrap this up. Uh, uh, thanks again. Be safe. And we will thank see you. you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.